back to ruining your childhood. This is the third installment of our four-part series on the Star Wars universe, and so this is going to be on the sequel trilogy, which is uh, the one that came out just over the past five years or so. And yeah, I'm Sarah. I'm Kirsten. And we're gonna dive right into it, I guess, because we, we got a meaty episode. And so I guess the, we always have disclaimers, right? And th- so there's several here. First of all, we're not ruining your childhood this time because if you're listening to this, you're probably not, you know, a child. And if, <laughs> if these movies are so recent that the only childhoods we're going to be ruining are the people who, the adults of the future. So um, maybe this is uh, something that will just be put in a time capsule for someone to listen to later. If this is 2040, we did ruin your childhood. <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For for the whatever generation, I mean, some some Gen Z, but also like whatever generation is after Gen Z, uh, we're gonna ruin that their childhood right now. But also, you know, it's still like kids media, so you know, it still falls within the scope of our podcast. So uh, it, <laughs> I I say to defending our choice to do this as if anyone disputed it. <laughs> Listen, you can't do one without the other, so right. you got to do all of the wars. Yes, and there were many wars. As, as we know. <laughs> yeah, so these started coming out in 2015, and this was the, the first full series after Disney acquired the Star Wars universe. So this is where we get even more into that cinematic universe thing that we were talking about. I mean, that we've been talking about, really, because like this is where we continue on with the, the Skywalker saga, and then we delve into new worlds and things like that. And additionally, this is, you could say, part of the boom of remakes, sequels, you know, reboots, all all that kind of stuff. This is in line with that, because Disney is all over that in the, like, post-2013-ish, that's just the, roughly around there, Disney is just fully enmeshed in making remakes, reboots, sequels. Yeah, that's sort of their whole gig now is redoing everything so yeah this was right but this was before it got really bad i think yeah that they sort of beat the uh worst contenders yeah and but also i think you know it's it's worth noting that this is partially if not almost entirely influenced by money less than like a creative vision which is, for better or for worse, that is what George Lucas was doing with the first two trilogies, is that it was his creative vision. Whereas with these, you know, not to completely say that the the creators are soulless or anything, and not to say that the people involved weren't creatives doing creative things, but the whole idea of doing these, this trilogy, was because Disney wanted more money. Right. So, and I think with these, the issue that gets in the way a lot of times uh, is the Disney money machine. So creatives don't get to flourish like they would because these are so much about making money and less about creativity. Yeah, it's a lot about marketability. I would say, well, and this goes into my other disclaimer. I don't like all these movies. Some of them... One of them I love, one of them I have mixed feelings on, and one of them I hate so much. We all know which ones you're talking about just from that description. (laughs) Because one of these is an excellent movie, 
One of these has excellent moments and also horrible moments. And one of these is a dumpster fire that has been left out in the rain and then reset on fire and then submerged underwater for 50 years. <laughs> I, that is, I agree with that entirely and i i don't even you don't i don't even ask which you think is which because i know but also you know i do know people that love the third one but i respect them i respect their opinion but it's wrong i respect their wrong opinion you know <laughs> uh i will say that i i like watching it visually yeah if oh, that yeah. makes sense like i yeah. i really like the visuals i like some of the fan servicey things Mm -hmm. but i can admit it is not good yeah well and just to, just to be clear for the folks at home we're talking about the rise of skywalker being the the dumpster fire yes the this the confirm yes this is uh <laughs> we all know well sarah not we all sarah absolutely knows why i hate this one but <laughs> i'll let her, I'll, I'll talk about it when we get to it because yeah. i have feelings about a certain character in this trilogy <laughs> yeah well, and i agree with you though that there are moments in it that i like and part of that is that they're just moments and there's a lot of things there's a lot of new things introduced in that movie that don't get to be explored because they introduce it in the third act which is an interesting choice very much the third act, the third act of the series, and also the third act of that movie. So literally oh, yeah. the final moments of the trilogy. Yeah, they're like, oh, let's introduce all these cool new concepts. And is it because they just had all these ideas that they wanted to cram in? Or is it because they wanted to hint at a bunch of expanded series and things on Disney Plus? <laughs> I just I'm like I'm so cynical of Disney at this point and it makes me sad anyway I also have to give my, my own disclaimer and that is that everything I say is going to be partial to Adam Driver because <laughs> I love him I love him that is a valid opinion <laughs> and not Kylo Ren just Adam Driver specifically I agree with that Adam Driver is very talented and a very he his acting makes for a very compelling villain and also kylo ren is a compelling villain to an extent but we'll get there right <laughs> uh and, but i don't think that that's adam driver's doing i think that's more though the writing but you know we'll get there when we get there but so let's let's go back to when the trailer first dropped for The Force Awakens. So let's just rewind it back to 2015, early 2015. I'm literally crying just imagining a time when I saw this trailer when it was 2015 and the world was good. Yeah, like this is pre-2016. Oh, a breath of freaking fresh air at this exercise is. <laughs> <laughs> it was so exciting like it, it was the, the trailer it was such oh, like for most of us it was really it was incredibly exciting because you see the trailer and you get chills hearing the star wars theme and even though that initial trailer didn't say much of anything about a plot it just kind of flashed some scenes like that one shot of finn in the desert and ray being a scavenger and poe being a pilot but like it, it it just kind of establishes the new cast which is exciting and cool and it's like there's so much potential and the visuals and the effects look so good that it's like here's what we wanted from the prequels an advanced cgi better looking visuals 
and a whole new cast of characters and we're going to get it all. This trilogy is going to be the one we've always waited for. Yes, like it's everything we wanted. But that just that trailer was enough to get the white supremacists all riled up. So just immediately they just they saw the new cast and Twitter trolls were out in full force saying that Star Wars was pushing a multicultural agenda or was promoting white genocide. First of all, I yeah, everyone's pushing a multicultural agenda. Like there are more than one type of person in the world. There's there's more than one type of person. So yes, we're multicultural just by existing on the planet and wanting others to exist. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And but the, these people said, you know, hashtag boycott Star Wars seven. So just immediately, like, they're, you know, whipping out the hashtags. And so among the things I had problems with was a woman being in a prominent role, Oscar Isaac, a Guatemalan-American being in a prominent role. But I think we all know that their primary problem was John Boyega being featured so prominently, like a black stormtrooper. And also, of course... The fact that J.J. Abrams is Jewish got brought up a lot, you know. Well, I didn't even know about that. I didn't know that that was one of the racist things said about this movie. Uh, That's because there were so many racist things being said about this movie that some of them literally got lost. It's like we couldn't keep track of all the racist stuff being said about it, so. Yeah, because, you know, I don't want to downplay the fact that that people had problems that a main character, if not the main character, seemed to be a woman. But I think Finn being black got a lot more uh, flack. I, that rhymed, I didn't mean for it to. And people liked to cover this up, like, like to cover up the racism with it's a continuity error. Yeah. I got so sick of hearing that by the end of it that it was like, no, just tell me what your real problem is with it. Don't say the quiet, like, say the quiet parts out loud, please. Yeah, exactly. And like, well, and actually, because, you know, in some ways, this was kind of a small but vocal group, but there was a faction of people who, you know, they had problems with it. But instead of just being like, hey, I'm a big racist, they were like, oh, it's a continuity error, like you said. Or, like, like because they were arguing that Finn couldn't be a stormtrooper because stormtroopers are all clones based off of Django Fett, so a stormtrooper couldn't possibly be black. But that's just a stupid excuse in general, because, for one thing, it's a fictional universe, so to just assume that they wouldn't justify that in the plot somewhere is kind of silly, because uh, they easily could, and right. they did, because that's the power of writing. Right, and I was going to say the explanation is actually perfect, like... It makes absolute sense that I don't I don't know if you go into this, but it makes absolute sense that a evil empire would take prisoners of war and force them to be child soldiers. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Like a lot of evil regimes do that shit. So, yeah, they would do it. Right. For sure. it's, it's the empire that used the clones, but this is the first order and it's like an entirely new regime and they do things differently. And that, that's how they do that. Which I think makes it more interesting. Right. And guess what's cheaper than making a bunch of clones? Stealing children. Kidnapping yeah. people. The child soldiers. <laughs> uh. Uh, yep. That's way cheaper and more efficient if you're building an army. Just FYI. Yeah. Not to give any pointers. 
Yeah, yeah, we're not suggesting you kidnap children. We're just saying that if you were going to create an evil army, more economical, more economical than, than somehow creating clones. But, um, <laughs> but like, I think that goes to show that not everyone who had problems with this was, you know, an outward neo Nazi. It was some people, it kind of goes back to that toxic ownership that a lot of people feel over the franchise where they use the lore of the universe to justify just them being uncomfortable with a black character you know and ultimately though it's a fictional universe and anything can happen so right and you know these are very skilled writers producers directors they're going to find out a way to make things make sense so there was no need for all of the outrage before before like you said at the trailer before anybody had seen the movie right. exactly and the other thing is that this also establishes a very important and interesting plot point that is a departure from the original trilogy, that stormtroopers are individuals with personalities, which is a lot cooler and more intriguing plot-wise than just having them be faceless and mindless. And it gave us kind of an interesting character arc for Finn in The Force Awakens. And so it's more interesting. And then, and then it kind of adds other layers later when you realize, like, any time a stormtrooper gets shot down, like, oh, that's not just a Django clone that's that's uh someone who was brainwashed from being a child so it kind of that's kind of an interesting thing so I remember around the time I think it was when the third movie came out and they had another character who was a former stormtrooper to kind of establish that there were a lot of deserters and someone said you know once you establish the character of Finn you kind of make every time a stormtrooper gets shot down sort of a, a wasted opportunity yeah that's that's so true and it is so much more interesting to have villains who are certainly not just black and white, who are themselves victims. That's such an interesting storyline. And it also poses a lot of really deep questions about accountability when it comes to brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Like, I think this is maybe more true to real life because it's more like something that you mentioned in a previous episode, Kirsten, was that Something that makes universes like this appealing to people is when the characters are human and have human emotions. And so, you know, it's one thing for the stormtroopers to all be just anonymous clones, but it's another thing and a lot more intriguing and more true to real life and so more relatable to us that these are humans or, you know, not humans, but beings, beings with personalities and whatever. Right, with uh, inner monologues and beliefs and, you know, morals, that kind of stuff. It's interesting yeah. to see. And it kind of it kind of reminds me of, you know, I, I say this because there are a lot of Nazi parallels in this series. They're, like, for instance, in the last one, they, they call their the, the final order or whatever. It's very reminiscent. I, I feel like it, it's very supposed to be a direct call to, like, the final solution and also a lot of their aesthetics are very nazi-esque and so when you right. do that it kind of you know there's something i've read about nazis before that i always just found super intriguing is that when you think about it not every nazi could just be like an absolute just someone with no sense of right and wrong or morality 
because that's not possible you know the 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 nazis for instance are just like they were a group that had so many people involved but a lot of them were just normal people but that kind of speaks to the fact that anyone can be convinced to do something evil if they are under the impression that they're doing the right thing or that they're fighting for the right side yes exactly that's the that's the thing that's interesting is that everyone has a breaking point where they can be convinced to do horrible things and not that i'm making excuses for nazis or people who make horrible decisions after being influenced by someone it's just that this is sort of a scary reality that a lot of people can be convinced to do things that they would never do outside of the sort of cult mentality the sort of uh you know leader who's going to convince you that you're doing the right thing it reminds me a lot of uh like not only the nazis but also like the manson family like yeah How much accountability does each Manson family member have in comparison to to Charles Manson? That's that's a really interesting parallel. It's like free will versus brainwashing. Because I think in, in the Stormtroopers case, because they were children, because they were very impressionable, afraid children, that it would be a lot easier to control them. It would be so much harder for them to break away from that mentality. So it is so much more impressive when Finn does it than if a clone stormtrooper had done the same thing. It's more impressive because this is something that was ingrained in him from the time he was stolen. He saw the First Order murder so many people that he definitely was afraid. And in spite of all of his fear, in spite of all the brainwashing, he still makes the decision to be a good person and to be better at all costs, to risk his life to be someone who he can stand to live as it's it's that story is so compelling yeah i agree with that completely i think it makes finn just so much better of a character when you consider all of that he's an amazing character and i hate that he was written off so much by the whites yes yeah i agree like they they didn't even give him a chance but so diving into the plot now uh i'm going to read the crawl from the first movie and go from there luke skywalker has vanished in his absence the sinister first order has risen from the ashes of the empire and will not rest until skywalker the last jedi has been destroyed with the support of the republic general leia organa leads a brave resistance i'm reading all the all caps words i can really tell the all caps you're doing a great job (laughs) she's desperate to find her brother luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts, dot, dot, dot. Uh, Also, when I first read this, I read it as Leia has sent her most darling pilot on a secret mission. Aww, he is the most darling. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Quick side note before we dive into this. So a thing I'm going to talk more about later is the online fandom culture that went along with, with this just by virtue of the era that it was released in, and alongside with that shipping culture of course i am uh, sorry sorry to bring tumblr into this but here we are and so i you know spoiler alert here is i'm going to trash the Raylos. sorry guys nope not sorry you deserve everything you have coming uh, and in do- but in doing so i want to start a count 
of every pair of characters that has more chemistry, more romantic chemistry than Ray and Kylo Ren. BB-8 <laughs> and every single human <laughs> cast member. <laughs> so, first off, like, you know, the first duo we see, Poe and BB-8. More chemistry there than between Ray and Kylo Ren. Much more. <laughs> Much more. Also, this is Sarah and I have been making fun of Raylos for a long time. This isn't a new thing. We used to have a joke between the two of us where I would send her fan made Raylo merch. <laughs> yeah, on like Society Six and stuff. There's a lot of very um detailed fan art. Uh, yep. <laughs> Not to mention fan fictions. <laughs> if we ever have a Patreon, we'll force ourselves to read uh, a Raylo. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that, honestly. So the film opens with Poe, the darling pilot, and he had he's giving a piece of a map to Luke from an old ally on Jakku, and they put it into BB-8. For the count, I'm going to say Poe and that old man. Okay, so also two. You got two. <laughs> And then he he puts the little thing, the the thing with the information into BB-8, and then immediately after, Kylo Ren and the First Order attack, and Poe has to send BB-8 away to find his own way back to the Resistance, since Poe is about to be killed and captured and everything. And this kind of mirrors the beginning of A New Hope, where we have Leia putting her message message to Obi-Wan into R2-D2, and so already it feels like a Star Wars movie, and we're just, we're off to the races. I am going to argue that these movies mirror the original trilogy a lot. Uh, I think that they do, and especially this one, and I think that's very intentional. Um, Also, this first scene is shot at night, which I think makes it even more compelling visually. Uh, There's not a lot of night scenes, especially night fight scenes in the Star Wars universe, so this one's like a really good good. one. It It immediately just sets the tone. This is like, Similar feeling, but it's going to be different, and it's nice. And this movie also, kind of in the same vein, returns to some of the more original visual settings of the original series, where we have, like, the nature backdrops, like deserts and and woods and things like that, juxtaposed with kind of the techie backdrops of ships, and as opposed to what we got in the prequels, which was almost primarily, like, kind of green screeny city landscapes right this looks tangible again which i think is very important yeah it doesn't look like some kind of utopia or dystopian techie world i don't know if it's utopian or dystopian debatable anyway depends on who you ask i think so this to me i think is them seeing what worked and what didn't and course correcting which is nice uh but back to the plot we get a lot of character introductions just in the first half of this movie. And not just introductions, we also have reintroductions of all, like, the old cast that's back. But as far as the new cast goes, we have Poe and BB-8 already. We have Kylo Ren and his big introduction, though we don't see his face until later. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because we, we don't see Darth Vader's face at all, really, in the original series until the very end. But Kylo Ren, at some point in the movie takes off his mask and it's kind of a, a dramatic moment where, where we see that he's just a person, you know? Also, uh, let me just say that I really love the visual effect that they do over Adam Driver's voice when he's in the Kylo Ren mask. I think it's a really cool sound and I like that 
it sort of parallels Darth Vader's, but isn't exactly a copy. Like, I'm glad they didn't hire James Earl Jones <laughs> to be the mask voice of Kylo yeah, Ren. <laughs> I agree. I, I was thinking that too when I was watching it. it. It sounds very cool and kind of haunting, but also pleasing to listen to. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, Adam Driver's voice is smooth velvet and... Uh, you can't do anything to make it sound yeah, bad. <laughs> exactly. Like it, it, it works really yeah. well, and his mask is just very cool. Like the stormtroopers and Kylo Ren's mask, like they're all kind of a more updated version of the old stormtrooper masks and the Darth Vader mask. Like they both kind of they they're reminiscent enough to where you know it's a Star Wars movie, but they they update them enough to where you know that they're trying to do something a little bit different. So I I always thought that was pretty cool. But uh, so just. Not too long after we meet Captain Phasma, who is the girl boss of the Stormtroopers. Oh my <laughs> lord. Uh, the the hottest a, stu- a Stormtrooper could ever be, honestly. Yeah. She is like the, maybe, maybe the hottest person in this whole series. <laughs> you don't even see her face until like, uh, we, and you'll, you really only see like one eye of hers, but still it's, it's, it's the, it's the, the vibe. It's the vibe. I like she can present such a vibe without ever seeing a, a facial expression. Yeah, exactly. And I love her suit. Uh, it's just a really good suit. It's so pretty and it just it just looks so good on camera. And she's so horribly evil, but you also are kind of rooting for her in a way. So it's uh it's one of those I don't like how much I like this character yeah. sort of moments. She's kind of um like sort of like uh Kind of how Boba Fett was. I was going to say, before the retcon, Boba Fett sort of had that yeah, energy. Yeah, like, you don't really know much about them, and they're not on screen very much, but you just kind of love them. Yeah, if I were going to be any of this, anyone from Star Wars for Halloween, it would be oh, Captain Phasma. Sure. Yeah, 100%. that would be amazing. Uh, and, you know, we, we stand Gwendolyn Christie in this house, tall queen. I love a tall queen, so 100%. It's great. But then right after we get our introduction to Finn, who is like, you can already, even with his mask on, sense that he's very conflicted. And he's like, this is horrible. We are slaughtering people. People are dying. And it looked like it's kind of implied that a friend of his died, right? Because in the beginning, like someone dies in front of him and he seems pretty shaken up about it. So even if it wasn't a friend, because I don't know if stormtroopers are allowed to have friends, but someone maybe close to him i don't think you can stop humans from having friends like uh i think it's so ingrained in human nature assuming that finn is a human uh yeah but you know for this purpose we're gonna call him a human but it's so ingrained within us that even if you try to prevent people from having friendships people will still have attachments because we just are social animals and we need that so much yeah and so that was you know i'm really just i'm ad-libbing here but in my mind when i saw that i was like that's that was maybe his bunkmate someone he was close to someone he kind of latched onto at some point because you know i imagine when you're a stormtrooper and you were like kidnapped from being a child you kind of just latch on to whoever and whatever you can right even like uh, someone who says hello to you you may say like see them as a friend if that's the only interaction you have. Yeah, exactly. And so I, it was a really nice moment because without really any dialogue, 
we got so much of Finn's character and so much information on the stormtroopers. So, cause they like, right. ah, they have feelings like right there that established that. The, the bloody hand on the helmet just really is so powerful of a visual, just that this marker of blood of death of, you know, this is a real human and I can't do this. Like, yeah. Wow. It just is a really interesting way to introduce that character and to just like introduce the movie. And so then that sets up the two of them, Finn and Poe, to cross paths once Poe inevitably gets captured by Kylo Ren. And meanwhile, BB-8 is rolling off and he runs into Rey and they become friends because she apparently speaks droid. Um, it's it's weird to me who in these series speaks droid and who doesn't, you know? I, I love that the rules are so uh, up in the air of like, who understands what this uh, little machine is beeping about? <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite like tropes of the Star Wars series is that people can understand these beeps and just respond to them in human English instead of being like, Beep, 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 and not beep, only like, that, but also like the Wookiees, you know, like like people, yes. you know, Chewie can just go like, the people are like, oh yeah, you're right. Uh, it's, it's just it's very nice. Like, oh my gosh, Chewie, don't do yeah, that. It's, it's so nice. Um, and that is also one of my favorite things about the Star Wars universe. So then Poe gets captured and interrogated by Kylo Ren. I will also say more chemistry, oh, yeah, more chemistry yeah. between Finn and and that nameless faceless character that died so that's three now right <laughs> yep we're, we're up to three between, i would say between poe and kylo ren because absolutely they're melting the screen yeah. when they're on camera <laughs> together because <laughs> poe has poe has chemistry with almost everyone he interacts with because oscar Isaac is just is, like that he's just that he is just he has chemistry with every living being okay i'm just a lot of this episode is going to be me just talking about how hot i think every member of the cast is <laughs> uh there's not one member of this cast that i am not in love with so that is something the, that the star wars take- movies truly excel at is that they just they find people although the the, the, the prequels i will say that they managed to take very attractive people and made them all look as horrible as possible with those stupid rat tails the rat tails really ruin it i mean there's literally okay so there's sexual tension in the the original trilogy the prequels are completely sexless (laughs) these movies are the sexiest movies ever made yeah (laughs) these are the sexiest pg movies you'll ever see because there is Oh, oh, okay. So the sexiest PG thirteen movies because there are just so many sexy people smoldering on that screen. Yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> sorry to objectify all of you. You're wonderful, talented actors, and I, I appreciate you your talent. Respect talents. you. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, but yeah. So then Poe gets interrogated, but then eventually he manages to escape. I you know I won't get into that, but uh he runs into finn or no finn helps him escape duh (laughs) almost forgot about that part finn is the one who breaks him out of kylo ren jail and also the other thing we have quickly established about kylo ren is that he is like a teenage boy who punches holes in walls (laughs) he is extremely fragile his ego will 
shatter into a million pieces with any challenge. He is he is very sensitive. He's a very sensitive got a Scorpio boy. moon. So that's the other thing. And well, quick aside, what what do you think Kylo's sun sign is? I would say probably a Cancer, honestly. But because yeah, me too. I feel like he and I are both triple water signs, but I'm not sure of his order. I I want to say definitely Scorpio Moon because Scorpio Moons are um have the capability to have a very strong temper, whereas Scorpio Risings more just have a tough exterior but like a mushy interior. But I feel like um it's Kylo Ren's interior that is raging. Yes. So that's an astrological here. I'm in. I hate how much I love Kylo. I have to like stop myself and be like, no, he's a literal Nazi. Stop it. Well, I think it's very possible to like a character without liking the character, you know? Yeah. His ideas, I hate. Everything he stands for, I hate. Him as a character, love it. Yeah, like he's a, he's a well-written, well-acted, well-written to a certain point, well-acted character. And that's okay. It's just, you know. Would you want to be friends with him? I don't know. He, he might punch a hole in your wall. The fact that his name uh, is so close to Kyle just makes me laugh. Because, uh, like, Kyle, Kyle is the guy who punches a hole in his wall when he gets angry at his mom because she won't let him play Call of Duty when during dinner time. Yes. His name is Kyle Ryan. That's his actual <laughs> name. Uh, and then when, when Han Solo shows up later, he's like, Dad! Dad, you're embarrassing me. You're so nice. What is your deal? <laughs> he's the coolest dad uh, in the world. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't, it, I, it would, I wouldn't put it past Han Solo to not be, like, the most fantastic. Oh, he's not an emotionally loving no, dad, no. for sure. I don't think he would be emotionally supportive to anybody, including Leia or Clearly. Kylo. <laughs> Uh, yeah he's obviously messed up as a father in a lot of ways but i think he's one of those guys who should have become a father when he was super duper old uh because he does have fatherly tendencies but i think only in his old settled down age is he able to finally accept that that's role. fair i agree I, th- I agree with that characterization of han solo i think uh that's accurate um but then in the plot finn rescues poe and then they kind of use each other to escape because Finn needs a pilot and Poe needed someone to break him out of Kylo Ren's, you know, torture dungeon um, with slight sexual undertones. Yeah. Anyway. Um, the Yeah. The, the, it, okay. Let's just address it. They do make that torture chamber with Kylo Ren seem oddly sexual, yeah. right? Or is it just me? Like, I think you're right. <laughs> bringing my own my own no, thing right. to you're this right. but uh <laughs> it has a sexual vibe because it is because there are no other people around it's a very quiet intimate scenario there's one person who's clearly in control this is 50 shades of gray star wars mm-hmm. edition yeah i think so and i think poe was maybe more equipped for that than ray was later i think um you know ray, ray was because Poe and Kylo Ren have more chemistry than than Kylo Ren and Rey. So that's why yep. he's the fourth one on the list. And the fifth one on the list immediately is going to be Finn and Poe. Which is, they, they go that's to the top of the list. the yeah, biggest they, one. Because, like, 
for one thing, they, they pretty much rescue each other. And then whenever they're flying away, Poe, you know, gives him his name, which is just a really sweet moment because his name is FN. Oh, what was it? FN2817. And Poe's like, I'm going to call you Finn. And he's like, Finn, I like that. And like, it's such a nice moment. It is very sweet. It is very sweet. Yeah. Just the two. Like, uh... And it like, it's just. Ah, they just have really great chemistry. Like, I feel like they hit it off immediately. And so, the, yeah, the, that they're fifth on the list, but also first on the list, really. Right. They're the fifth one on fifth one in order of appearance, but most important <laughs> on the list. And then Finn meets up with Ray and BB-8 because they had met up. And then they all end up in the Millennium Falcon somehow. And then whenever the Millennium Falcon is in space, then... None other than Han Solo and Chewie managed to track it down because it had been stolen from them and then in a roundabout way ended up with Finn and Rey. Uh, again, more chemistry, Chewie and Han Solo. Yeah, sixth on the list. <laughs> they've been really, they've been doing that chemistry for years though. That's, That's not true, new. but I'm still going to put it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then we have kind of all of them meeting and I want to say Finn and Han Solo have that chemistry, but I'm not going to say Han Solo and Rey because they have a real father-daughter relationship and that's just yeah yes, that, that's do. solidly that they, um but i am also gonna yes. put uh ray and finn on the list because they have chemistry although i feel like they maybe feel a bit better as friends because they have like such a sweet wholesome friendship uh again i say that like i th- i don't know if it's i think this is the first time that we see finn receive a hug from anyone yeah and I just like Ray hugs him for the first time. And I feel like that must be imagine being someone who was stolen as a child, brainwashed, a soldier who had their complete identity stolen. And then someone hugs you yeah. like, and wow. Then from Ray's perspective, moment. you know, she's been on her own her entire life. So right completely abandoned uh yeah so like you know the two of them i view as like these trauma bonded siblings almost where they they kind of just like they need each other for that purpose but like they i don't see them as a romantic pairing but that's kind of what i thought they were gonna do but i'll get in that in a moment the next thing i want to talk about though is the introduction of a new character another new character maz kanata because they then in order to get BB-8 to the Resistance, they were going to go through Maz Kanata on her planet. And this is where we get sort of the new version of the cantina scene from the original movie, where we have a new cantina song written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, among other people. I think I think he was just one of the, the composers. But, you know, Disney using that guy again. And then we have Maz Kanata, who is a motion capture character played by Lupita Nyong'o. And they they advertised that Lupita Nyong'o was going to be in this movie, but they didn't really say what role she was going to be in. And so this was kind of a bit of a surprise. And I love this character. Yes. Yeah, she's just, she's great. And just excellent use of motion capture because there's so much emotion. But also I should note that she has a body movement double. Uh, Artie Shaw is the actress that was her body double. So like when I heard Lupita Nyong'o was going to be in the new Star Wars series in some kind of mysterious role, I was super excited about it. And then to be honest, a little disappointed when I heard she was going to be playing an alien via mocap and not like in the movie as herself. But uh, this was 
pretty much immediately following all the awards and accolades she got for her role in 12 Years a Slave. And if you haven't seen that movie, it's very um, graphic with her body in particular. And in an interview with BuzzFeed News, Nyong'o said, 12 Years a Slave was a film that was so much about my body, and Star Wars is not at all. There was a liberation in being able to play in a medium where my body was not the thing in question. The acting challenge I was looking for was completely different, a complete departure from 12 Years a Slave. And so when I read that, I loved the character a lot more. Right, that makes total sense. This was preferable to her. Right. And she does get her Disney shining moment a few years later when she co-stars in the Black Panther yeah. movie. Yeah, so she, she does get to be- So Disney put her on retainer. <laughs> yeah, I feel like once you're in, you're in with Disney. But yeah, I just, I was glad that Lupita Nyong'o was able to do that, like able to act in a way that was kind of, uh, I don't want to say an out-of-body experience. I don't think that's the right word for it, but (laughs) but, but not. In another body experience? Yeah, yeah, like she got to act, but not have her body in question on screen. Like I I can understand why that would be like, because 12 Years a Slave is one that I, I hear cited a lot for something that's like, you know, in some ways a very excellent movie and in other ways maybe a bit excessively graphic in a way that's not super necessary. But then some people say like, ah, it's important that we know this stuff. But then some people think it's like, uh, you know, is there better ways to get this across? Uh, so I can see why uh, that would have felt a certain way for for Miss Nyong'o. But all that being said, uh, Maz is an excellent tool for exposition because just in the scene where they're on her planet, a lot of plot is established. Like Ray and Finn both being Force-sensitive and Han's hesitancy to go back to the Resistance and more of Finn's motives for leaving the First Order. And we have pieces of a flashback scene of Ben Solo's descent to the dark side. So it's like just bang boom like plot you know and we get that like the mystery is really built about ray with the lightsaber scene yeah. with uh that plant <sighs> in the head of like everyone we're like is, who is she like she's not right. just some rando or maybe she is i don't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting there, there. <laughs> then the first order attacks and captures Rey while everyone else meets up with the resistance and then we get this beautiful scene where Han and Leia see each other again for what's clearly the first time in a, in a good long while and especially then you kind of realize like oh their son is Kylo Ren and so like there's a lot of other emotions involved and one of the most beautiful pieces of score ever written in my opinion is Han and Leia's theme particularly the version of it in The Force Awakens because it's slightly different from the original one. It's kind of slower and swells more and it has that familiar tune played in kind of a softer way with Han and Leia. They're, like they're older now and like they just kind of like stand there and look at each other and it just it really gets me. It's a really good scene. And you know, these are two people who not just the characters but the actors have so much history yeah. with each other and to see them reunited is just like beautiful for us as the audience of a film and also as fans of the series. It's like, wow, this is what we it wanted. Is such a good <laughs> moment. And uh, so 
you know, Ray Ray gets captured and she gets interrogated by Kylo Ren. Oh, oh, backing up real quick. Um, I think we were at seven people who had more chemistry. We are we are at seven. I've been keeping Maz a tally. Maz and Chewie are added to that list because as soon as they walk in, Maz is like, "Where's my boyfriend?" Uh, the Wookiee. So no. Maz and Chewie, and then we have uh, okay. Maz and Han Solo, and Maz and Finn. Um, Maz and we'll throw in Maz and Ray. Uh, so that's eleven, right? And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, oh, it's twelve actually. We're okay. at twelve, and then Han and Leia, of course. But also Poe and Leia, yeah, hardcore, absolutely. Okay, that's thirteen then, right? Fourteen. I cannot 14. count. Fourteen. Um, there's just that's because there's so many couples I would have preferred to see. <laughs> it, well, and then. And that brings us to one that's not going on the list, Ray and Kylo Ren, when she's getting interrogated, because it's like, you know, when you you consider the weird, like, uh, BDSM undertones of his, like, torture chamber, Ray being so, like, not not having a good time. Like, Poe was, you know, Poe's, like, no matter what situation he's in, he always, like, teases back at people, whereas Ray was, like, just not having it so so like to me i did not get chemistry from that scene i got um no and i actually don't like that scene like it makes me feel like viscerally uncomfortable like it's very effective as a torture sequence because it does make me feel Mm -hmm. squirmy yeah i agree so but not as a romantic thing in any way not the not the feeling it gets me but this is the scene where we see Kylo Ren take off his helmet for the first time and we get to see Adam Driver and his long flowing hair. And like we kind of look into his eyes and we're like, this is a human. Yes. And he takes all of our breath away collectively. <laughs> <laughs> and then we establish that Rey is like really force sensitive because she does the thing that Obi-Wan does in the original series where she just like tells people what to do and they do it. And like, and with no experience, and so we're like, "Oh, damn, this is intense." And we get that fantastic cameo from Daniel Craig. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> That's because it's one second long, and he's a stormtrooper, yeah. so you can barely That's, tell. I completely forgot about that. But then, meanwhile, Finn and Poe are having their big reuniting moment, and my goodness, when I I totally forgot to mention that Finn ended up wearing Poe's jacket and then whenever Poe sees him again he's like that's my jacket he's like oh and he's like you can keep it it looks good on you like what a moment yeah it's it's those two it was those two all along it was them all along it was no actually it was just Poe and literally any human (laughs) anything that moves he's (laughs) Poe is (laughs) anything with a pulse he has chemistry with it because that is Oscar Isaac Mm -hmm. as a person I again I love him so much as well he's great I think a lot about Ex Machina that came out around the same time that has him and the guy who plays Hux. Domo Gleeson. Yeah. And I would say, because the intro to the second movie, this is getting a little ahead of ourselves, but they have like that moment where he kind of like plays a joke on, on Hux over the intercom or over the, like the radios. And I would say that counts as more chemistry than because because i love those two together in general like i love them in ex machina i love i love that one interaction they had in star wars they just they do well together um i 
will say that I think Oscar Isaac is on the cool list with Harrison Ford, but where uh, Harrison Ford is like reserved cool, Oscar Isaac is like um, extroverted yeah. cool in a in a in a fun way, mm-hmm. like the same but yeah, different. I agree with that. And also, the, like this this reminds me of something I was thinking about how the main characters of this movie sort of mirror the main characters of the original series where we have kind of the snarky tough guy kind of character and then more the soft hero that's like more of a traditional a traditional hero not like an anti-hero kind of guy like Han Solo or or Poe is maybe but like Finn and Luke are both kind of um I don't know, they have more emotion to them, I think. Right, and they're, they're characters who seem like they're trying the hardest to be morally correct. Yeah. And then, or you could even also compare Rey to Luke, because they also have that struggle with the dark side and the light, like, they both have that. I feel like Finn and Rey are Luke and Leia, but with traits from both on yeah, each of them. Yeah, I would say that. that makes sense. Because Finn is a lot like Luke in that he's, you know, traditionally like the male hero, but he's also funny and has like snarky things that he says, mm-hmm. sort of more like Leia. And then Ray sort of has the whole, I'm the chosen one vibe, but she's also like a badass chick. Like she's Leia. The girl. So <laughs> I think she's the girl one. Uh <laughs> So I feel like they took the best traits of Luke and Leia, mixed them in a blender, and then put them yeah, out. I, w- I would agree with that. That makes so. sense. Um, and then also kind of, that also throws into question of like, who the love interests are of this movie, because the roles aren't immediately clear. And that I'll get into here in a bit. But um, but one last plot point I want to talk about with this first movie is the, the the big major character death that happens of Kylo Ren killing Han Solo. Uh, I honestly, this is not a joke. Just thinking about it just now, I got chills all over it my is. arms because it shakes you. Even if you know it's coming, it shakes yeah. you. Because like the, the buildup and because you could tell there is genuine conflict in Kylo Ren, but it's not what you think it's going to be. And it just, even if you know it's going to happen at some point, you just, you don't think it's going to happen that way. And I think that this is the moment that sets into play a troubled redemption arc for Kylo Ren that could have been so good. (laughs) Just could have been. These seeds that, that were planted in force awakens are excellent it's just but then yeah it's like you planted this beautiful garden full of really hearty great seeds and then uh when they came up they were just like shriveled uh half grown carrots (laughs) shitty carrots Carrots grow in the ground like when you pulled up that carrot it's just like black and moldy and shriveled (laughs) (laughs) oh my god um yeah so like it really, for one thing, it calls into question later why Ray is able to at all forgive Kylo Ren for anything because, you know, she saw him kill the one person who'd ever been like a father figure to her. And not even just like kills, like 
it's such a um a sucker punch yeah. that's what i was looking for because it's not like they were in a in, in a fight like like previously when you know the the person always kills their master you know when if we have darth and obi-wan fight and in the prequels we have qui-gon jinn and darth maul you know we have this sort of the master being killed mm-hmm. moment but it's always in like a lightsaber battle this is a father talking to a son trying to reason with him and then a son who just sucker punches his dad and kills him when he's least expecting it oh my gosh it yeah literally in cold blood oh it's mind-blowing yeah. where, like leia senses it through the force that that han just died oh. That is horrible oh. oh my goodness i mean it's good like well done. oh i hate it when chewy when chewy screams when it happens oh, like me too. i i was dead inside yeah. when like that one just like moan from chewy and from ray is just like so heartbreaking and you know Ray sees this and sees Kylo not react to killing his his own yeah. father. Uh, so yeah, how do you forgive that? Um, and, like it makes sense that she starts. I'm out. holding grudges about kids who said something mean to me in high school. I I don't understand how she would forgive this. Yeah, like that that's one problem that I'll get more into when we talk about the second one is that I don't understand how she goes from being like there's no good left in kylo ren to being like oh but maybe there is just because like they held hands (laughs) through the force it just that's that's the thing i don't get (laughs) but so initial reaction to this first movie uh george lucas was not involved in this trilogy but apparently he was not super pleased with it because it lacked innovation which, to that I say, innovation only got us so far in the prequel, so maybe sometimes innovation for the sake of it is not all it's cracked up to be. And going back to old things, like, you know, motion capture, now that it works better, and, you know, practical effects, like actual, you know, droids that move, that's maybe what the people want. Right. Um. Yeah, I, I didn't know that he didn't like it, because... If I had created these characters and then saw them so well used in a movie, I would be so happy with The Force Awakens. Because yeah. it's like somebody building onto your legacy and making something equally as good, if yeah. not better. Yeah, that's the dream, right? Is that, uh, but I guess not for George Lucas. He just wants more tech. he needs more technology please he wants uh, like them to do something really weird and crazy to like shake up the special effects industry but eh, you know (laughs) um but the other thing is that this immediately sparked fan theories partially because there was a lot of questions that were left unanswered but also because in the modern world there is kind of modern fandom culture which is you know, part of that is shipping. And I don't know that shipping didn't exist before, but that is the terminology that came from like 2010s era internet culture. And so that's kind of what we have with with this is that you get that aspect of fandom where people are constantly communicating about it across all platforms. So like we know. 
Maybe you should define what shipping is for people who don't shipping know. Shipping is when you want two characters to be in a relationship. So, like, I ship Finn and Poe. That is what that means. I've already made it clear that I ship Poe, Finn, and Ray. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I support that one uh, very much. Um, and so the primary fan theories that came out about this, not even just shipping, but in general, was, for one thing, to do with Ray's parentage. So Ray being a Skywalker was one of them. So possibly Luke's daughter or even another child of Han and Leia. What was your what was your initial theory after this? I wanted her to be a Skywalker. Very bad. I thought she was Luke's daughter this entire time. Because I thought that she had such a family bond with Han and Leia. And I thought she had some sort of... I knew she had a connection with Kylo. But I always thought it felt more familial than romantic. Yeah, me too. So, I agree with that. Uh, but also, I think once the series, now that the series is over, in retrospect, I would have liked her to not be related to anybody. Uh, even though that would have been, that would have been maybe slightly disappointing because there was so much buildup about her being somebody's relative, I think it contributes to the idea that anyone can be a Jedi as opposed to the Force being only super strong with like a few families which is kind of lame. Right and I was gonna say it's just so common to have a chosen one Mm -hmm. trope in fantasy media that it's like a very overdone Mm -hmm. thing. I mean Harry Potter is the chosen one. Luke was the chosen one. Aang the Last Airbender is the chosen one. Uh, we could keep listing these forever. There's literally so many that are like this. Percy Jackson, uh, you know, it just the list goes on and yeah. on. Yeah, and and also especially at the end of the Last Jedi, we got an indication. We we got kind of a hint that that's what it might be because it ended with that little boy, just that random little boy who was a essentially a slave on Canto Bite who worked in the the horse dog creature quarters being force sensitive and being like you know loyal to the resistance and so that i felt was like anyone can be a jedi it doesn't matter who you're related to or where you come from and so that's what i thought they're like i thought they're going that direction with it but the other theory which was kind of um as i understood it kind of a joke akin to darth jar jar uh, but some suggested she could be a Palpatine, <laughs> which interestingly is what ended up happening. Uh, oh my gosh, that like this is the the last thing I wanted. I don't know about you, but yeah, well, uh, I supported the two that I I liked three. Um, I liked thinking that she was maybe a Skywalker. From I didn't. I hated the theory that she was. Um, Han and Leia's other child because I not for one second did I think that Princess Leia would be the type of mother who would abandon her child on Jakku like she wouldn't do that she would have if she thought she had to abandon her child she would have picked a better home she would have picked a loving family like was done for her you know she had an adopted family and she loved them so she could potentially give ray to adopters but they would have been nice people not yeah, nobody's she have been living like in that hole she was living in you know 
And so right. I, I think um, that's where the Ray Skywalker theory kind of had holes was that it just didn't quite make sense. And it didn't quite make sense for Luke either because, like, he could have left her with Han and Leia if he didn't want to deal with the kid. And then also, who would have been the mom? My Luke theory was that he didn't know that she oh, was alive. True. Like, that she would be, like, a, a child he fathered and didn't know That's about. Fair. Um, That was my my first theory. My other theory was that maybe she was a Kenobi, that maybe, oh, you know, that. not that she would be a direct daughter of obi-wan but you know he has to have other family so maybe he would be would have been like a a great uncle of hers or something i totally forgot about that theory that was another one i liked that i liked that theory and i liked the the luke theory and then i also liked the she's just i also liked the theory that she was just born of the force yeah like anakin yeah, I, I actually like that Anakin is just like a child of the Force. I kind of liked that idea. So I was in for that for Kind Ray. of a Jesus parallel. <laughs> you know, I, I do see the one benefit of her being a Palpatine is that they're kind of pushing this narrative of like, it doesn't matter who you're related to, you can still be a good person. Or in the case of Kylo Ren, you could still kind of walk a bad path, even if you ha- are related to good people. So like, kind of like the you make your own choices who you're related to doesn't define who you are like there's that but i feel like that same message could have been gotten with her just being a nobody you know well that same message is gotten with kylo ren because if he makes better choices in the last two Mm -hmm. movies because you know he is a descendant of an evil person darth vader so you know he has both evil and good in him so, you know, just showing him making good choices is another way to do that without making Ray a Palpatine. Right. And also, now that you mention it, they do kind of already establish that as a theme in the original series because Luke, and I guess also Leia, but this is more of a thing with Luke where he is tempted to go to the dark side and doesn't, and he chooses not to, even though that's his father and that's who he's related to and that's what's in his blood or whatever, he chooses to be good. And so I don't think they needed to reinforce that with Ray being a Palpatine. I don't even know that they needed to bring Palpatine back either. I I don't think he needed to be a part of this at all. Uh, No, I think Snoke, like, in the second one, of course, Kylo Ren kills Snoke. And so I think after Snoke died, there didn't need to be, like, a supreme leader above Kylo Ren. Like, Kylo Ren just trying to run a regime could have been fine or or kylo like this the what i wanted to see in the second one was especially in that amazing this is one of my favorite fight sequences i think maybe my favorite fight sequence of all time when um ray and kylo team up to defeat the guards and then snow excellent fight scene i it's perfect. I really do. Like, I, I don't say that lightly. I think it is a perfectly shot yeah, fight scene. I agree. Um, and I don't say that I, lightly either because, as you know, I don't know that the people know this, but I don't like action scenes very much. I usually find them boring. So it's interesting to me right. that that means something to me. Right. It's so visually captivating. It's so well shot. I And um, I know Ryan Johnson gets a lot of hate for 
The Last Jedi, but I think he is a brilliant director, and I think he is so good at putting a visual together. So um, I love that scene, and what I wanted to see more of in the third was Kylo dismantling the thing that he helped build. I sort of wanted to see that. Yeah, but- I think I am of the opinion that they didn't make Kylo Ren earn his redemption. Him dying isn't good enough for that. Right. Sac- self-sacrifice isn't a big enough of right. a thing. We learned that with Snape. Yeah, honestly. So the other thing, aside from all these fan theories that happened between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi that was very crucial to the direction of these movies was the passing of Carrie Fisher in 2016. Uh, that was the year between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Um, honestly, probably the hardest a celebrity death has ever hit me. Really? O- honestly, same. It was it was so tragic. And just just universally yeah, beloved. Like her mom um, dying pretty much the day after. Oh my Reynolds. goodness. That, and, and her having a daughter that, that worked on this project with her. Yeah. Like seeing Billy Ward in it, it was really fun. Right. Um, I I will like never forgive them for making Billy Lord have a funeral scene for her mother in, in the yeah. in the film when she had actually had to bury her mother. That's nope. I I am mad about that always. I think that's I cruel. Know, so cruel. I oof, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I hate that. Yeah, it's a, I think about it every time I watch it and it just makes me feel so mad that they would have like allowed that scene to be in there or made her do it. I don't know if they had shot it before Carrie Fisher passed away, but it is no, I think just it was after because, I just cause um from what I understand there was going to be another plot with with Leia in it that got cut because she died not too far into filming of the third movie. So um so they had wrapped uh The Last Jedi though. And the same year she passed was also the year Rogue One came out, which featured a CGI version of young Leia as well as a CGI Grand Moff Tarkin. And in that case, the actor had died previously, which is why they CGI'd him. But in the case of Leia, it was just because, like, they wanted a, her younger. And this immediately brought up a lot of questions on whether they'd do a CGI Leia in The Rise of Skywalker, which a lot of people did not like the idea of after she had passed. Like, it was kind of too soon for that, and it was kind of wrong. And so Disney had to release a statement essentially promising that they wouldn't do that. Which I'm I'm very glad they decided not to do that. That would have been... um. I think horrifying for me to watch. Yeah. Um and everyone. I don't think anybody would no. have liked that. No. And so they just had to work with the scenes of her that they already had, which you know, we'll, we'll get we'll get back to that later with, you know, how that worked out. So, now we have The Last Jedi, uh directed by Ryan Johnson, though JJ Abrams was still involved. Uh, full transparency, I still to this day have mixed feelings about this movie, as we said in the beginning. I think everybody does. Again, I just think Ryan Johnson is so good at making films that he can even bring you around for this a yeah. little bit. And I, you and I, again, saw this movie together in theaters. And I remember after we watched this movie, we went out to dinner and we all really liked it. At first yeah, blush. At first. Uh, when we first, when we were still on our Star Wars high, we re- we all mm-hmm. loved it. 
um it wasn't until we took like a second look at things that we were like hmm yeah um, well and part of it is that so like i thought maybe this is suffering from second part of a trilogy syndrome where like you know the everything is left up in the air and all that stuff and then it's gonna have a big payoff in the third one so i was like okay i'll wait for the third one uh and then it didn't really have much of a payoff but i'm gonna try when i talk about this to focus on just one movie at a time and not but inevitably i'm also gonna think about the third one so it's it's gonna be hard yeah but also like it does kind of mirror empire strikes back because it has everyone it has sort of the chosen one character off on a training sequence with a wise older character and then it has other characters off on a mission and you know all that stuff and it's kind of it's a movie that doesn't leave you satisfied because it's not the end but it's also not brand new so it doesn't it's not like the force awakens where it leaves things really hopeful uh it leaves things pretty messed up and not that good for the heroes and so that's part of it where like when you see it not knowing what's going to happen next it's a little bit like oh dear like this could go any direction and what if it's bad i also think that this movie suffers from a lot of what we were talking about when we talked about the prequels in that i think the second movie could have been two movies i think they tried to jam too many storylines into one movie to make it interesting and instead made each storyline not flushed out enough yeah um or made each storyline sort of feel rushed right and then on top of that uh something i didn't appreciate all that much is so rose and finn's storyline their storyline was interesting and there was a lot of things established with it but then it kind of ended up being somewhat all for nothing which i had mixed feelings about because like not much was gained from their mission which they spent the entire movie on you know and finn is supposed to be this main character right rose was introduced as a main character and ultimately their plot was for not yes so um but backtracking a little bit uh we have new characters in this movie that are established such as the tico sisters but of course Paige tico dies almost immediately because she's part of Poe's attack on the first order which was done against Leia's orders and Paige is a bomber pilot and I I think that's the right terminology and she's the last bomber left and she's about to get exploded by the first order but she manages to drop the payload uh, right before they kill her and it's a very heroic moment but this moment is both to establish her character to set up Rose's storyline, but it's also this moment establishes Poe's character arc for this movie, which is that he is like too audacious, I guess, and and uh, he's a trigger happy. He's a renegade cop. Yeah, basically, he's just kind of <laughs> doing what he wants. And, um, so his his big lesson for the movie is to like listen to your elders, I guess. But I don't know. I, I don't know how much I love that storyline for him. Like, I have mixed feelings about it. You know. Uh- I I don't like that storyline from him uh, because if he would have just done what he was told, a lot of uh, time could have been saved and a lot of lives could have been yeah. saved. Yeah, because, so. like, you know, it's one thing to be like, well, a lot of good people died in that. Like, when Leia says that, says that, it's another thing to have witnessed Paige Tico die just before that. And he's like, but we won. And so it, it doesn't feel as in line with the character we got in the first movie, you know? Right. And also Laura Dern's character is uh, 
<laughs> How do you feel about her? Well, okay. So I love the idea that there are so many uh, women in leadership positions in this army. Um, she's Admiral, right? That's um, her title. Vice, Vice Admiral. Vice Admiral. Okay. So I, I like that she's a, another like wise woman in a position of power, but also because she tries to be secretive and doesn't include Poe, uh, there ends up being a lot of problems because she just didn't communicate with anybody. Yeah. And uh, I just don't, I don't, I don't love yeah, it. Yeah, and I I kind of feel similarly. I, I mean, first of all, I love Laura Dern. I love the way they designed her character. Aesthetically, fantastic. I know, so pretty. Hair, so pretty. The amazing. hair. But also, I feel like, maybe I'm reading this incorrectly, but I feel like this was a girl power moment okay let me rephrase that (laughs) um i'm just gonna say when i use the term girl boss i usually use it like um sarcastically and in the way that uh people like will refer to ceos or like people uh, like women in positions of power that allow them to do bad things as girl bosses uh renata from big little lies (laughs) girl boss literally yeah yeah so so when i say um vice admiral holdo is a girl boss and they're trying to make her that way that's what i mean because ultimately it comes at the expense of poe's character who is also like i think this is maybe a slightly white feminist moment where you know we see this white woman putting this man of color in his place the whole movie that gives me such a dirty taste in my mouth and so that's what i don't like um, what I do like is the, <laughs> is it bad to say the romantic tension between those two characters that's exclusively because of their acting and not because of like the content of the movie? No, you okay. can list it. Again, here we are. It's because uh, Oscar Isaac has chemistry with everyone. Especially older women. Like I think he had, because like we said, he has a bit of chemistry with Leia too. Older women and men in particular he had because i don't i I don't think he i don't think he has much chemistry with ray i don't either i think it's just men and older women that kind of you know get on his case some you know i I think to some degree he likes that i just what i what i mean though where i think there the difference is is there's one there's one version of things where like leia or vice admiral holdo kind of like tease him because they they like him and there's another thing where uh Vice Admiral Holdo is like actively like knocking him down a peg. That's different. And so I think that there there's a line yeah. there that I think it could have been such a playful dynamic between those two characters had they not made it so um weird. I don't know. It wasn't Yeah, right. yeah, it's it's it makes it look like not only is she taking him down a peg, she also looks like a completely incompetent leader. Yeah. Who eventually self-sacrifices, because again, that's the only way we know how to redeem a character in this. I, uh, no, I uh, hate it. Just kill people <laughs> off. It's like, ah, they're, they're cured of being annoying or bad. It's, uh, so he is supporting Finn and Rose on their secret mission. And also, so immediately we have Finn trying to desert the resistance. In this movie, which I also have mixed feelings about, because on the one hand, it does make sense that he'd want to go find Ray, but also it seems like his motives are also like 
this ship's going down and I want to get off. And that doesn't seem like Finn. Yes, yes, exactly. Because he has that Han Solo moment where he's like, this isn't my, I didn't sign up to do this. When he explicitly did sign up to do yes. this. <laughs> he, he, uh, he wanted to be part of this before. I mean, like he had that conflict in the first movie, but then he kind of made his choice. And so this is weird backsliding for no reason. I mean, I think they did it to set up him meeting Rose, but they could have done that in other ways. You know, they didn't need to backslide on Yeah, they knowledge. could have just been fighters. They They could have just been... Uh, together in a war together, you know, like every other character in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, yeah. So yeah. it doesn't make much sense. Um, but I do love Rose. So I, I'm very glad that yes. however we got her, we got Rose, even though I'm sad that they killed off her sister because that could have been a potential like good character. Also, we just don't see, we don't see a lot of other siblings other than Luke and Leia. So it would have been nice yeah. to have another sibling even if she was bond. a minor character. I just didn't, I... It it was sad that, like, they introduced her to immediately kill her off. Huh. But then, okay, so then, you know, because Poe was being a trigger-happy flyboy, he brought the First Order, because they, they tracked him through light speed, and so he brought them to the Resistance ship, and then they uh, blew up the bridge, and so we, and everyone died except for Princess Leia, and that was on the bridge, including the, probably the worst... By far, and I mean this, the worst death in the series, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> I was gonna say this is the the Admiral Akbar death is too much. That's a bridge yeah. too far. No, no pun he's intended. Such a, he's such a mainstay, you know. Are they really just? I think they were re- really truly trying to kill off every character from the original series. Yes, yes, they were just like you know, uh, out with the old. Literally, we're gonna kill yeah. everybody. Um, and, but then. You have Leia flying through space, and you think for a moment because she had died the previous year, is this how they're gonna handle Carrie Fisher passing away? Are they gonna kill her off like this? And luckily they didn't. But it was kind of a weird moment where it's like, like had they planned that, or were uh, did they add that in for for, for some re- weird reason? But then obviously she had scenes filmed after that in her little hospital gown, so like I think they had planned it. That that whole moment though, where she's in space and then she's back, I, that's I don't like that either. The put that in the the cons column yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, I will say that the part that I really enjoy about this movie is the Ray training sequences. Yeah. Um, those are my by far my favorite parts of this movie, aside from that one fight scene that I love so much. Yeah, I I agree because um, well, because when he's having her meditate. And she is drawn to the dark side because it's going to give her answers on her parents. I think that's interesting because it offers an opportunity for growth for her. And then she ends up doing it. She ends up growing. She explores the dark side. She goes to that hole in the ground and like goes in. And then she realizes this is bad. And she, it's kind of like she ends up kind of cutting off a toxic relationship with the, the dark hole in the ground, you know? I also like that we finally got a visual representation of the dark mm-hmm. side because i think it is hard to convey the pull of the dark side when you're just talking yeah. about it but um, like it gives you promises it so, can't actually deliver on right and so i think like the visual manifestation of the dark side was really powerful and i really love the way those scenes are shot uh a lot of my pros with this movie aren't uh 
part of the plot it's just <laughs> the visuals uh because i like ryan johnson's style so yeah i do like ryan um, johnson i did, like i don't think he had as much influence in the writing as maybe he could have i think uh you may know the answer to this because of your research but i think he was the one who wanted ray's parents to be nobodies because he wanted people to be able to be force sensitive yeah i think that is clear in certain creative directions he took because I, f- I felt like that was kind of the theme of this movie and uh you know because that that's how it ended with that that little boy who was force sensitive so i think that's what he was trying to get across and i think they undid that because of audience reaction or something i think that was a retroactive choice i think so too which you know kind of feels like they didn't have a master plan for this trilogy they were making it up as they went along based on audience reaction which is making a trilogy for the money and not for the creative benefit yeah Yeah, it sort of seems like after this movie came out and there was so much hate that they just said uh back to the drawing board who's gonna fix this yeah we need to course correct everything (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I, and I think they wanted, they did the Palpatine thing because they just wanted to surprise us as much as possible because they did the whole Game of Thrones thing where it's like, we're going to do something so stupid that you won't see it coming. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, but then we also, at the end of the, well, okay, so backing up, we have the whole plot with Rose and Finn where we kind of establish how we get some world building from the Canto by experience because Rose explains to Finn that, you know, all these people, all this luxury is dependent upon the suffering of other people. And so it's like a lesson in, you know, capitalism or whatever, space capitalism. Uh, and so that's that's an interesting moment. Um, even though their plan ends up being kaput. But I guess what their plan does do is that it gives Finn an opportunity to kind of have, you know, duke it out with Captain Phasma, which is nice, which is a great fight scene. And also that's some nice vengeance for Finn. Right. Uh, And then it establishes Rose as a main character and as someone who is going to rise in the ranks of the resistance and not be just maintenance anymore, partially because a lot of the resistance is dead now. Can you fly a plane? They're like our um, numbers are way down after yeah, today. Yeah. Um, and the thing is what I read was that she was going to have a bigger role in the third movie. She was going to have a plot line with Leia and then Carrie Fisher died, and then that had to get axed. And so that is why she kind of got sidelined, but that is very, leaves a bad taste in one's mouth because after The Last Jedi came out, of course, we had what we are all probably aware of, which is the horrifying backlash from alt-right trolls some some of which were apparently Russian bots, but not the majority. The majority of them were actual real humans who chased Kelly Marie Tran off of all social media. They harassed her so much that she got off social media and had to go get a therapist. Yeah, genuinely, they ruined her life. Yeah. Um, she had this opportunity to be in a huge, successful franchise. You know, you got to think she was super stoked about it and then to just have people hate you so much and come after you so much it's like 
How devastating. I I feel absolutely horrible for her and what she had to deal with coming from fans of this series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, like, and so that's kind of what I think, you know, not that, not to say that John Boyega didn't have it bad. I think John Boyega and Kelly Marie Tran both had the absolute shit ends of the stick here. Yes. Um, and with not much support from Disney. It didn't right. Seem- the company they they really did have the shit in the stick both of them and so all the all of what we've been talking about with like toxic fan culture and things like that that's kind of been building up to this moment where it really it took a toll and i think part of that is that uh kelly marie tran also kind of exists at the intersection of being a person of color that is you know an underrepresented group in media and also a woman, which added a, another layer of ways for these people to harass her. Two different kinds of hate. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, I think you're allowed to have problems with this series. I don't think you're allowed to have problems with the actors. And no. you're especially not allowed to have problems with the actors' race and or gender. So, um, yeah, I I think if you're unhappy about the way her character was written, that's not her doing. Yeah. She didn't cause you to not like this movie. It was the writing and Mm -hmm. or the directing and or Disney. Um, But it wasn't her. It wasn't Kelly Marie Tran. It wasn't John Boyega. In fact, Kelly Marie Tran, like Rose Tico was kind of the shining part of this movie for me. Right. She's one of the, like, most likable characters because she doesn't do anything that's uh, underhanded. She's just sort of a good person who's trying to avenge her sister's death. Yeah, and so much of this movie was undoing character arcs from the last movie. Like, undoing good character development from the last movie. And she didn't have any character development from the last movie to undo, so maybe part of it was that. (laughs) Fair Um. enough. Um, the only reason that um, I think Ray's character stays somewhat intact is because she was off being Jedi trained. Uh, everyone else was horribly scathed. Uh, Poe had his character arc busted. So did <laughs> Finn. And uh, we get introduced to Vice Admiral whatever just for her to be terrible. So, uh, <laughs> uh, like, it's hard. It's hard for me to not like Laura Dern. I yeah. Yeah, I love her so much as an actor, so when I don't like a character of hers, uh, that's really saying something. Mm-hmm. I don't like this character, and I don't like her character in A Marriage Story, and that's not Laura Dern's fault. Yeah. Yeah, she's doing her best. So, The Rise of Skywalker, J.J. Abrams is back as the director, and I, you know, we... <laughs> this is a long episode already, so I'm not going to get too into this, but my goodness, I do not like this movie. Sorry to this movie. I just <laughs> I do not like it. Um, there's a couple things I do. I, pre- I presume that I dislike everything, but I, so I'm going to highlight the things I do like, which is that um, I like the tidbits of plot lines we get that they don't fully flesh out because like we said earlier, they introduced them at the last second, such as uh, that girl, I believe her name is Jana. We meet her on that planet with the 
Sith thing. Also, just backing up, the, the whole plot line for this movie doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why they need the thing. I feel like they just made this up with Crayon. Like, I just, I don't get the I honestly don't remember what happens. I saw it in theaters once and I haven't watched it since and it wasn't memorable. It's a Star Wars movie and it's not memorable enough for me to remember what happens. So that yeah. should really tell you something. All over the place. I didn't understand what they were trying to do. It just seemed, it seemed like they didn't know what they were trying to do. But um, when they're on that planet trying to find the, the Sith something or other. Um, is they... that the planet with the festival or whatever is happening? No, actually, um, this is later in the movie, but they go to so many places. I will say that the festival that they go to is very... I wasn't sure I was going to get to this because th there's a lot to cover. But the, uh, the Aki Aki Festival is very reminiscent of a Hindu festival called Holi. I was going to say it's extremely culturally uh, appropriation-y. Yeah. Well, it's another, it's another instance where they take a culture from real life and then put it on to like aliens with tentacles uh -huh. yeah <laughs> just pointing that out but then also they they meet up with those like i want to say goat herders but they're like or like i i don't know what the animals are they're alien creatures but they run into that girl named jana who is also a former stormtrooper and the like and he Finn has, like, this bonding moment with her where, like, they talk about how her and her whole company, like, deserted the First Order because they were ordered to kill civilians and they, they refused. And they all put down their weapons. And they all now live on this planet as, like, goat herders together. And, and it's just so good. But then they, like, they don't flesh it out. That character goes away. And... And, like, wouldn't that have been nice if they introduced that last movie? Yep. Uh, couldn't that have been Finn and Rose's plot is doing something that, that landed them with... The, or if they had introduced the whole, like, Sith blade thing in the last movie. Because it just seemed... Just so many different plots going on. And then they go to that, uh, that crime planet where uh, they find out that Poe used to be a spice runner which I think is just Disney language for drug mule. I, I don't know. I didn't even think about it being Disney language for drug mule, but I was just like, <laughs> how lame to smuggle spices. Uh, like, are spices illegal in the Star Wars universe? Are all there's some bland, bland ass food in Star Wars world. Uh, yeah, I just, oof. Wait, um, when you go to the Disney restaurants, so is everything unseasoned because you have to steal spices? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to you have to smuggle you have to like get them kind of under the table um and so we introduced that whole world and that's some of my favorite moments are on that planet like where we meet that character um that little that little freaky guy that that little guy that fixes or uh, or breaks uh c-3po and he's yes. like Ooh, blah, blah, blah. like I, I love that guy <laughs> And yeah, then, everybody did. That was the shining light of this movie. <laughs> yeah, he was great. And then Carrie Russell is randomly in it, but you hardly see her face. But that character is very intriguing. And that character has a lot more chemistry with Finn in the one moment she talks to her. Because they have this exchange, like, she's about to turn them all in. And then Ray, like, knocks her down. He's like, no, you're not. And she tells Ray, for the record, I think you're okay. Or not that you care, but I think you're okay. And Ray's like, I do care. Like, Aww. what? 
that's significantly more chemistry than Ray ever has had with Kylo Ren. Yes. Uh, and so it just, that set up a whole bunch of things. And you wonder about Poe's former life of crime. And you just wonder so many things. But then that that's all they give you of that. And then it's back to whatever stupid Sith knife plot. It just... And and then and then raise a Palpatine and and then Palpatine's back like that's the whole th- it just it's it's and there's like a ghost army or I'm I'm just doing a shrug because I, I don't know how it all fits together. Well, like I remembered all the scenes from the movie roughly, but then I didn't remember the order that they were in because none of them make sense. There's no sequence to it. <laughs> it's like uh yeah, I remember seeing this thing and that thing. But I will say that they did manage to give us a cohesive theme throughout the movies of, like, the resistance being the universal sign of hope. That was the one emotional through line through the whole thing, was that everyone everywhere recognizes the symbol of the resistance as something hopeful, and that as long as they keep that alive, they can't be defeated. And that's kind of, like, the thing that Ryan Johnson, I think, does best in getting across, despite the flaws I have with that movie, or the, the, the qualms I have with that movie. Also, Ray and Kylo kiss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let, inexplicably. let's talk about that. Inexplicably. Um, I threw up when I saw this. Yeah, this um, is one we didn't see together, but I saw it with our friend Matt, and him and I looked at each other in the theater and we're like <laughs> I I saw this movie with my brother and he was like um it's not like the other two but it's still not the worst movie ever and I was like that's fair enough that's a I feel like that's a fine enough yeah. uh, summation of what this movie is and again it is fun to watch visually space yeah. is cool space these characters cool. are cool um Lando's back for one one second um i'm glad they brought him back for that one second i wish they would have brought him back earlier though again with all of this i just wanted to see i didn't want them to shove all of this into the last 20 minutes of the film yeah basically oh man yeah i don't understand why they introduced a lot of cool things that they didn't have any time to flesh out and that's also my problem with kylo ren's redemption arc and in doing so like also my problem with with the kiss is that he didn't earn it and maybe this is me comparing every redemption arc there is against prince zuko maybe that's what i'm doing Mm -hmm. but i will say that prince zuko from avatar the last airbender is a damn good redemption arc and and jk rowling and jar jar abrams should both take note because they they did that well they like Draco Malfoy and Kylo Ren wish they were Prince Zuko. They do actually. Yeah. Um they actually had the time to to flesh out that redemption arc in that TV show whereas in these movie series I don't think they actually had the time to flesh out these and I think that's what a, that's what a villain redemption arc needs in order to be successful because you can't be redeemed overnight. This whole I I expected, after I saw The Last Jedi, I expected fully to come into Rise of Skywalker and see a Kylo Ren who was fully committed now, who mm-hmm. was, again, dismantling the thing that he was helping to rebuild. Um, yeah. I wanted to see that. And I actually wanted to see, I 
I I really always liked the theory that Kylo Ren was being forced um, so much to the dark side because Rey was so much on the light side and that the, the force has to remain in balance so that the existence of Rey was pushing him. So I wanted to see that scale sort of swing the other way in the third movie and see a little bit more of Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo's redemption arc and see Rey struggling even more with the dark side. And to see them both in the end end up somewhere in the middle. You know what I mean? Like I wanted yeah. to see I wanted to see that and or the nope. gray area, man. <sighs> yeah. But also, like, you know, that kind of backsliding because we also get that in Avatar The Last Airbender, where Zuko has some backsliding where after we think, Oh, he he's he's better now, then we see him return to his old ways a little bit. But then he comes back and that makes kind of the comeback even more successful and he has to kind of earn it even more. And we don't get that with Kylo Ren because they just they don't they didn't have the time. And so you, you don't get to let him backslide when you don't have the time to make the, the comeback even better. Right. You can't just say, oh, well, he's dead, so it's fine. Um, yeah. We forgive all in death. Self-sacrifice does not redeem you of your actions in your life like that one act of self-sacrifice does not make up for the fact that he killed a lot of people yes a lot of people he did a lot of uh he also furthered the uh fascist agenda of the first order um he's a murderous fascist and just because he sacrifices himself in the last 10 minutes of the trilogy doesn't make him good and just because he killed Snoke doesn't make him good. Although yeah. I did I did want to see him go from there, but he didn't. So That could have been a jumping off point, but then it immediately came clear that he just killed Snoke because he wanted to have more power. Right. He, he killed Snoke to be Snoke, not to correct right. anything. I think they should have had a plan from the get-go, but instead they just it seemed messy. What's the expression like too many cooks in the kitchen? That's sort of what I think happened with these. Yeah. Switching around directors too much. On the bright side, so some happier endings for our real-life heroes of this franchise. John Boyega has taken a break from Disney because this really changed his perspective of the Star Wars franchise and a lot of things because of everything he dealt with. And... He has kind of taken a break from that to focus a bit more on activism. And so this summer, he was very prominent in the Black Lives Matter protests in England. And so. And he's also participating in the Small Axe film series, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's doing uh, very cool work now, very different from Disney. Yeah, which I think he deserves a good, good, long, amazing career because he's a very good actor. Yes, he's extremely talented. And Kelly Marie Tran, for her part, because she wasn't super well known before this. Like part of part of, I think, her struggling with this was that she went from being a complete unknown in the film industry to being in Star Wars and so and then immediately she was met with so much vitriol 
And so um, I would have hated to see her do, you know, kind of what Jake Lloyd did and just give up acting. And just to some degree hating Christensen and just completely give up acting. But she is going to be in a Pixar movie. Yay! So that's, she's going to be, what seems to be, I don't, I, I think Disney's kind of done doing princesses for a while, but it seems to be kind of a Disney princess-esque character, as in a movie with a female lead. <laughs> um, which, they're all princesses. But it's about, I think it, it's a movie about a dragon. A dragon? A dragon, yeah, a dragon. And I think Aquafina is voicing a dragon. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm on board. And so she has to like go find the dragon or something. So it's I'm very excited for this. And like they've they released some like concept art and I think maybe even a, a teaser, like one of those teaser teaser trailers that are like a teaser for a teaser. And so I'm very excited for that. Uh, I think Kelly Marie Tran deserves all the success in the world. She seems like a lovely person and she's As does Aquafina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just them in a movie together is very exciting uh and so and then also more representation and in, in kids movies which we here at ruining your childhood love to see we love to see it we love to see it also put aquafina in a star wars movie um <laughs> oh i think she'd be it'd be cool to have her voice a droid Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Like the the opposite of whatever C3PO is. Uh like very sarcastic upset droid. Um <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Like the opposite of like a, a customer service droid, which is essentially what a 3PO. <laughs> um, uh but, or just one that's broken. Yes. So, I mean, that kind of sums up our thoughts on it, I think, on this on this series. I think um, we all have thoughts. Opinions are like buttholes. Everyone's got a couple. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, two or three at least. Um. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this is, this is shaping up to be a really long episode, but uh, we hope that you have bared with us through all of it up until now. If you're hanging in, thank you. And also, um, if you want to continue this conversation again, we are willing to fight you on any social media platform. Square up. Square up. Bring your facts and come to the social media mm-hmm. to call us out. Or agree with us. If you, if you agree with us, we, we'd love that, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gas us up. We love that, too. Um. <laughs> but I'm sure you like... Any given person listening to this is bound to disagree with something we talked about because we had very many differing opinions on all kinds of things with this. So uh, we'd love to hear them. Yes. Also, if you did, if you are a huge Raylo and you have any fanfics, I honestly want you to send it to me. Please do. Um, (laughs) I and if you have a good defense of Raylo, send me your notes. uh, Bring your receipts and show me why you think Raylo is a good idea. But yeah, uh, tell us why you're a Raylo and uh, send us your fan art. Please. <laughs> yeah. Fan art, fanfic. Uh, that goes for anybody, not just Raylos. Uh, I love fanfic. I love fan art. Send it. Fight me. Agree with us. Whatever. We love to fight. We still have one more Star Wars episode. And that will be everything that isn't a trilogy. Mm-hmm. So all of the extra content uh, up to and including the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> uh, 
I may or may not have gotten super drunk and watched it and taken really uh hard to decipher notes. <laughs> I can't I honestly cannot wait to hear those. I really want to hear your drunk hot takes. Yeah, they were my drunk hot takes, but they are I was so bad at writing that they're like very hard to read. <laughs> they're like I wrote stuff on top of other stuff because not only was I drunk, I was trying to write on my lap, so I was trying to balance my notepad on my knee and uh it didn't work. <laughs> oh my god. I I want to see like I want to literally see those notes like with my okay. eyeballs. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send a pic. Um but for now, thank you for making it to the end. Good riddance to you all. Good riddance. Thank you.